I'm Katherine Spearing, and this is Uncertain. So here at Uncertain Podcast, we challenge the church to do better, and this topic of the church, divorce, and abusive marriage is a big one. I currently know, and I ran the numbers, I currently know more women who identify as Christian who are in abusive marriages, unhappy marriages, or have gotten divorced than women who are in happy marriages. Of the women who I know who have gone through divorce or have experienced abuse in their marriage, as of yet, I cannot name one situation where I have seen the church handle it well. This is a big problem. This episode is a little different than our normal interview style. I will be interviewing Natalie Hoffman from the Flying Free podcast, but throughout the episode, we're also going to hear real stories from women who have gone through the experience of abusive marriage and divorce and who experienced the church not only as unsupportive, but also abusive in its interaction with the situation. This is not isolated. It happens far too often, and the church needs to do better. I'd like to give a special thank you to Leslie Travato and Marie Griffith for consulting on this episode. I'd also like to thank the women who sent in their stories for this episode so other women know they are not alone. I had been raised very much in the evangelical tradition under a complementarian framework, and I adhered to that my whole life. My husband and I were married 22 years. There were a lot of behaviors, habits, addictions, and anger on my husband's side of things that I had tolerated for far too long. And I knew that I needed to create some boundaries in my marriage that was absolutely out of control. At the time I was in year four of uh, being in a women's ministry leadership position at my church, it was incredibly important to me. It was really very life-giving despite the fact that my situation at home with my husband was so uh, destructive and heartbreaking. My husband called the head pastor, who was essentially my boss, and said, my wife has abandoned me. We had all-male leadership team at my church, and they took me into a room and interrogated me. I cried in that meeting, and the only question that that head pastor asked asked me at the end of my sort of, I think I gave about a 20, 25 minute sort of testimony of our marriage is he said, Leslie, are you safe? And I knew right immediately, right then that he meant physically safe and that his only grid for abusive marriage was physical, like in the domestic violence category. And it felt as at at that point as if he was sort of checking off a, a legal box and then A few months later, I was called into a meeting where I was formally dismissed. I was married to an abusive Baptist minister for 17 years. If anyone is familiar with the role of a pastor's wife, they know that she is essentially isolated because of the power struggles and the political and social dynamics of a church and the vying for the pastor's attention. She will not have anybody to confide in within the congregation. Since it is one of the oldest institutions that supports and teaches patriarchy or male supremacy and second-class spiritual status for women, the isolation of the church turning its back on me was really not a surprise because the women in the church, especially 
in our church, it, the women in the choir were always eager for the attentions of my husband. And so they, as a group, had no trouble ostracizing me as the one who was at fault. I grew up in a strongly complementarian setting, and I heard a lot of messaging around marriage being the way to save yourself from burning with lust, and how men are more visual and sexual than women. This messaging led me to marry my now ex-husband after only about six months of dating to keep us from burning with lust. I knew the first few days of our marriage that something was terribly wrong. I was miserable. But people kept telling me that marriage is hard and it gets better after the first year, so I continued on. I found some resources online that helped me understand that while my husband wasn't actually beating me, he was doing a lot of other things that, to appease me. I asked my husband to go to counseling. We ended up seeing a biblical counselor who actually named the abuse, but did not understand how to work with couples in an abusive marriage. Our pastor saw me crying and called my husband afterwards to ask what was wrong. Notice he didn't speak to me, but my husband. He began to meet with my husband to mentor him. Not long after that, my husband was called to the carpet on his compulsive porn use by one of his friends. However, our pastor came over and basically preached a sermon to me about how I should be forgiving my husband and moving on in the marriage. I had been struggling with depression and suicidal ideation, but it got so much worse after this. I told the biblical counselor about my suicidal ideation. He brushed it off completely and immediately told me I should be having sex with my husband regularly again. I remember going to the pastors and telling them some of the issues after a series of questions. It was implied to me that because I took leadership in having our home pressure washed, that that might have caused my husband to feel less than, and that may have prompted some of our issues. That was the beginning of a long cycle of the church really putting the weight and the responsibility of my husband's issues on me. I'm a mental health therapist. I often work with women who have left abusive marriages, and many of these women are Christians. In many of these cases, they were taught that submission to their husbands, or perhaps even to men in general, was equal to submission to God. I believe that this takes advantage of a woman's desire to please and obey God, and that makes it's so powerful when she's told that, you know, the answer to abuse is simply to submit more or um, to honor more, to please more. It takes the responsibility away from the husband and lays it all on the woman. I'm really excited to get to talk to you. I have a lot of people who are like waiting for this episode. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I have several friends who have either been in an abusive marriage and gone through the divorce process or are currently in abusive marriages and they, their interactions with the church. I have yet to 
walk with a friend through this situation where the church has handled this well. I, I have not yet experienced, oh, they're like actually helping in this situation. And I, at first I was inclined to give churches ben the benefit of the doubt and just, oh, they just, they're ignorant. They don't really know what they're doing, but it happened so much mm -hmm. that I can no longer give that excuse to churches. My hope for this episode is that it's a, you know, one hour episode, 45 minute episode that women can potentially give to church leadership when this, if they suspect they're in an abusive marriage or starting that separation process and just say, Hey, would you listen to this to help inform you on this experience? And, and then it should sort of be a sign if the churches will listen to it or follow <laughs> right. some of the stuff that they gleaned from this episode of whether or not they're dealing with a safe leadership situation. Um, because right. as you are familiar with, a lot of times churches are very nice and smiley as they are stabbing you in the back. And oh, yeah. find that out sooner rather than later. Yes, <laughs> so, absolutely. Um, and so all of my questions that I have for you today have come directly from a couple of women who have been through that abusive marriage process, the divorce process, working with churches and also people who follow your work. So all of the questions are from them. Before we get started, I love just to share a little brief rundown of who you are, what you do and how people can find you. I'm Natalie Hoffman. I am the author of, is it me making sense of your confusing marriage, a Christian woman's guide to hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. I have a public website, flyingfreenow.com. And I'm a podcaster. I have a podcast of my own called Flying Free and a program where inside my program where I work with people more intensely, survivors, Christian women who are in the middle of, you know, in the middle of emotional, emotionally abusive relationships or spiritually abusive environments, really, because mm -hmm. it's really they both go. Hand. I have found that when it comes to Christian women, those two things go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, then I'm going to start with this question. Okay. How do evangelical churches help create environments that have abuse, especially in marriages? Yeah. Well, it's, it's because of the theology that they teach, you know, they, they have an under, there's a foundational theology that leans towards believing that women are less than men. Of course, they would never say that in an overt way, but they, they teach it through in covert ways through how they allow, you know, what they will allow or will not allow women to do in the church, how they define women, how they define the roles of women, the ways that they treat women, the ways that they talk about women from the pulpit, even in sometimes they can talk very degradingly towards women or make jokes, make light of their misogyny. And they don't even, and I remember even as a, I grew up in the, in the church, I would hear things and I just thought it was normal. I didn't even think that there was anything wrong with it. And when people would point it out, you know, if those, those wicked feminists on the outside would point out things, <laughs> I would think, well, they just don't understand. They just can't take a joke. They just don't get it, mm -hmm. you know? And, but, and so you don't, when you're so brainwashed, washed and immersed in that, you don't really see how it's affecting you, but where it comes into play and where it's where you start to wake up is when you start realizing, Hey, I actually have a need and it's, and I'm actually worth something. 
And now I'm going to stand up for myself with what I need. And when, and then you find out that nobody wants to hear about that. They don't want to, you are labeled as rebellious or unsubmissive or making a mountain out of a molehill. Basically all the things that your husband maybe have been telling you your, or even your parents Mm -hmm. your whole life. Now the church is just reiterating all of those things can be very confusing and disorienting for women. And I just think that where we see the misogyny really rear its ugly head is when women actually come forward and step into who they are and their identity and say, they lift up their heads from the dust and they say, I am here. Mm -hmm. I am real. And I also deserve to be treated with respect and honor and dignity, not just put in a little corner and, and told, this is who you are. We will define who you are for you. And here's how we interpret the Bible. And then, and we're just going to put you in a little box and you better stay there or else we're going to like whack-a-mole you back down. So do you think that this theology of women being less than, and whether they will directly say that or not, do you think that there's a connection between that and men just feeling like they're supposed to like these things that there's, they're not thinking, Oh, I'm abusing this woman. They're thinking, Oh, I'm being a strong leader. And then that, that is in turn abusive. Do you think that some of, some of these abusive things are coming from like, I'm supposed to do this. Yeah. Well, for sure. Although I don't think that strong leaders are necessarily abusive. I mean, you can have strong male leaders, Uh, hopefully in a perfect world, we would have strong male leaders and strong female leaders. We would have people that are especially equipped to be leaders because that's how God's gifted them or whatever. Right. I mean, in the Bible, the Bible is full of strong male leaders and strong female leaders. We just don't talk about the female ones in our churches. But I think that, yeah, the brainwashing is not only for the women in their role, but it's also for the men. And it's viewed as, well, we are just protecting you. You know, Mm -hmm. this is loving and we're protecting you. So I knew people, you know, really solid couples growing up and in, in my adult years where that were immersed in this theology, as I was, where the, the relationship was not abusive at all. In fact, the husband was a strong leader, but I can think of one in particular. I'll just use them as an example. The woman was also a quite a strong leader and they really on a practical level, they functioned as a partnership, like an equal partnership. So even though they paid lip service to complementarianism and they, you know, believed it one wholeheartedly and they would never have said And even though she had the traditional roles, she took on the traditional role of a mother and a homemaker and she homeschooled her kids, but she still took leadership roles in other ways in the church. And just her personality was very much a leader. Okay. And he totally respected her and treated her with honor and dignity. I remember we would have um, dinners with them. We were in a small group with them for many years. And we'd be eating dinner with all the different couples and she, she would often interject and correct him on things or interject her own opinion. He never once shamed her or jumped on her or made it seem he was always very, Oh, that's a really good point. Or, Oh, I never thought about it like that. Or, Oh, I think I made a mistake there. Never once 
made it seem like her voice didn't mean anything. In fact, he placed a lot of weight on her voice. So, so all of that to say that just that strong leadership doesn't mean abuse. Mm -hmm. It just, but however, there are certain personalities who may be more conducive towards wanting to take a power over position over other people, whether it's their wife or even people at work or what, or what are their children. Those people are going to take on this theology and this teaching, and they're going to use it as a license to abuse their, their families. And I think a lot of pastors, actually, I I've been so shocked, but in every church I've been involved in, except for a couple that I've just visited later on, but every church that I've been heavily involved in the, there, there have been people in pastoral positions who have been abusive and they don't just, I I'm not unaware of how they've abused their families, but I am very aware of how they've abused people in their church, including their fellow leaders, as well as a lot of women in the church. So I just think that the, the theology is conducive towards, it's like a Petri dish. Mm-hmm. That's just ripe for growing this kind of abuse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's a very good point that the th- theology itself is problematic, but someone doesn't necessarily, I believe this theology doesn't always lead to, I'm going to be an abuser. An abuser can take this theology that is problematic in and of itself and use that as license for abuse. That's a very good yeah. distinction to make. That's helpful. After surviving your own destructive marriage and helping hundreds of women do the same thing, what do you think is the most destructive part of emotional and spiritual abuse, which is what you specifically focus on, right? In your work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Bible says that Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And so what abuse does is it, is it, it murders the soul. It murders the spirit, the, the inner part, the core person of, of its victim. And it does it slowly and methodically and utterly destroys the women that come into my program or that come and read my book or that send me emails. They are destroyed from the inside out. And, and actually I do know one woman, one woman for sure. And I know there's probably hundreds that, that end their lives because they can't do it. And I know, I do know hundreds of women who have actually articulated this to me. And this was my experience too, where we get to the point where we want to end our lives, where we don't want to live because we don't see a way out. And we don't think that we're worth anything. It, you get to the end and you just feel like I, I'm not worth anything. And my voice doesn't matter. I, I am totally invisible to my husband, to anyone I've ever asked for help to my church. And sometimes when their kids grow up in it, sometimes they can even be invisible to their kids and their kids don't even realize what's going on. And so it's like, what, why should I not just annihilate myself? And I just think that the enemy just loves this. That's his main, his main goal is to do this. And he, it really, it murders the souls of men too, because it takes it takes them out from their potential of what, and all that the, that God created them to be and to do alongside of women. And it guts them as well. Yes. It is totally identity eviscerating and just, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. Does not leave uh, survivors for sure. If you think that 
if you believe like I do that God created every single human with this beautiful potential, but that potential will only be realized as that person comes into the fullness of who God created them to be into the fullness of their identity. If you think about that, think about the millions of people throughout history of women throughout history who have never, ever discovered that or ever been able to, it's like they were a little seed planted on the earth and they never, ever were able to bloom because they were, I love the word eviscerated. They were eviscerated by this spiritual abuse that ends up leading into emotional abuse that ends up leading to just killing them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you can't see it. Like there's not a, there's not a physical wound. There's not a, or there's not a visible physical wound. It does. It physically impacts our bodies for sure. Yeah. 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 That's true. One of the biggest things I believe that the church did that was so harmful is they just flat out didn't believe me. They didn't believe my story. They didn't believe my pain and my experience of abuse, which was many, many, many years deep. They didn't believe my words up against the narrative of my husband that was developed to essentially save face, to protect his reputation, and and there was no accountability for him at all. I had leaders from the church taking me to coffee with a Bible under their arm to show me where I was misinterpreting scripture, and no one was doing that with my husband. No one was holding him to the same bar at all for how he was husbanding me or how he was participating or not participating in our marriage at the time. It was incredibly alienating. And then after the meeting where I was dismissed and after I politely declined their suggestion of walking with me through the hard season of separation, never spoke to me again. I was blocked on all social media. I was never contacted when three months later, my husband filed for divorce. No one helped me move. No one checked in to see how things were going. They used isolation, threatening to kick you out if you divorced. They minimized and denied my suffering and blamed me for the abuse I was under. They definitely upheld male privilege and the emotional abuse from using verses and other cliches to shame and judge me were definitely part of that cycle of violence and abuse. My pastor had told me he would check in with me monthly to see how things were going, but I only heard from him about twice over the course of a year. I gave my husband one last chance to own up to what he had done. I filed for divorce. I sent an email to my pastor explaining what I had done and why. I also told him I would be leaving the church. I sent a message to my community group about church telling them that we were getting a divorce and that my husband had been abusive to me. Within 20 minutes, Sending that message, I got a text from the pastor who was not in that group telling me I was not allowed to have mass communication with that group anymore and that I had not submitted to his spiritual authority because I didn't talk to him before I filed for divorce. In my eyes, he had abandoned me spiritually in every way. I was shocked. The worst blow came when a dear friend in that community group called me the next day and rebuked me for what I had said. She told me I'd slandered my husband. Although she knew my whole story, I'd shared everything with her. She knew how much more I could have said. 
The church caused harm during and even before my marriage by preaching submission, emphasizing male sexual pleasure and the woman's duty to give him sex whenever he wanted it. The church harmed me after my divorce by taking my friends, my community, and not allowing me to tell my own story. I believe they have also harmed my reputation since my husband is still in the church. He serves on a team during the worship service. That very presence, I think, sends a message that he was not in the wrong. Because I grew up in an alcoholic home, I had this feeling of ultra responsibility for things that weren't mine. But combine that with the way that the pastors counseled me and just some unfortunate evangelical teachings that have been twisted. All of these things really added to the cycle of me taking responsibility for my husband's issues. I think what would have happened if we would have received healthy, life-giving counsel that made my husband responsible for his issues, that acknowledged my separate personhood and dignity, and encouraged me to make the boundaries and create this space for me to heal and do my own healing work personally and then my husband to do his, there could have been a different outcome. I am to the point now that I do believe that some teaching and counsel that women receive within the church is actually more destructive to marriages than helpful. The other way I have seen it affect women is that it removes autonomy and self-efficacy from women. It sort of treats them like children. If you are taught that you must always submit to a man to make decisions or to know what to do with your life, then it basically means that you yourself do not have the ability or the wisdom to make decisions for yourself. And this is very disempowering for women and often is what causes them to stay along with the religious uh, ramifications. They've never had to do anything on their own, and they're not incapable, but they have been taught to mistrust themselves. Do you believe female representation on leadership teams and elder boards might begin to tip the scales on how well churches can hold stories of abuse? Well, I definitely think that would help. If those women themselves are aware, because I knew from the church that excommunicated me, the women were actually running and coordinating the, the initiative to help victims of abuse. And these women were largely ignorant about what abuse actually was, or even method, you know, really good methods of helping women. And so they were actually doing more harm than, than good. At least at the time that I left, they definitely did tremendous damage to my life that I had to, you know, work through. So, you know, that's women, that's Christian women, but they were, they had bought into the theology that 
misogynistic theology. And unfortunately, there are a lot of Christian women who are actually promoting misogyny through books and online articles and classes, and they're doing it you know, I mean, I used to be a Christian woman who I had a blog called visionary womanhood and I was doing that mm-hmm. very well-meaning and very passionate and wanting to help women. But I fully 100% believed that women would be happiest by just believing these thing, these specific things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Yeah. So it took, it was a waking up process for me. So I understand where they're coming from for sure. But now it, I feel like the, we, there's so much more information and so much more availability. It's hard now to really excuse people who have been exposed to a lot of these things, but still continue to stick their head in the sand. I think they'll be held responsible one day for the fallout. Absolutely. Yeah. No. And I'm, I'm really appreciate that. You said that women, women alone in leadership are not, are not enough. And I have seen that happen in multiple churches where the fact that they have a women's advisory team or a woman elder, or, Oh, look, this woman's in position of pastor as a way of gaslighting people and saying, look, we care about women look, we have a women's advisory board. Look, we have a women's leadership team. Look, we, or we make women deacons or whatever as a way of just like, yeah, we support women. But like you said, they could be their token woman. That happens a lot to have their, their token women, but they don't actually listen to them or, or women who have just, you know, bought the theology hook, line and sinker and are going to defend it. That's how they got on the the, the leadership. <laughs> exactly. No. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very, very good point. Okay. This is total speculation, but when leaders on a team are all male, how much do you think that this confrontation from women who have been abused potentially triggers their conscience regarding their treatment of their own wives or women in general? Well, yeah. I mean, it's definitely speculation, although I think it's speculation based. I, I was, you know, I sometimes will sense things and then I'll think, oh, I just really want to believe the best about everyone. And, you know, that I don't want to make any assumptions. And then I always find out later mm-hmm. that my, my speculations and assumptions were actually correct because something will come out. So I just think that if, if somebody, anybody, is really having an emotional reaction to a woman who comes forward and says, I need help. Then there's something in that person that's causing that emotional reaction. The woman asking for help could, can often be very panicky, or I just did a podcast episode where she recorded her voice. She recorded her question on this recording thing. And it's going to, you know, we're going to hear her voice on the podcast. And she is like panicked and desperate and really angry. Like you can tell she is just off the charts, freaked out in her voice. And at first I thought, well, maybe I shouldn't put this on my podcast because it might trigger other people. But then I thought, no, people need to know, like, this is where, this is the place that we can go when we, when we're in this dark spot, when we feel like we're a cat in a corner and we're going to get, you know, massacred by a bunch of raging bulldogs, we're going to be screaming and hissing and spitting and clawing. Okay. So a woman like that, when she comes with that kind of energy to a man, or even to another woman, 
it, if that person is having a reaction to her, it's because of what they're making it mean in their own brain. It's not her. She's just a, a circumstance in their lives. They're making that mean something for them. Now, what they're making it mean could be lots of different things, but mm-hmm. for a guy, if his wife is doing that at home or if his mother did that, or if he's seen other women reacting that way in his life and he doesn't like it, he might view, he'll project all of that onto her mm-hmm. and react against her negatively. He'll put her in whatever box, whatever category that he's got his other, the other people that have done that to him, he'll put her in that box as well. And maybe he thinks all women are like that. Who knows, you know, yeah. and then he will use that bias and treat her a certain way. And this is what I noticed in my own many, many over the course of many years, altercations with different men who I tried different elders and things who I tried to get help from. There were some who reacted very compassionately and kindly their theology kept them from helping me, but they, I could tell they wanted to help me, but they just were so stuck in there. What they believed, what the Bible said, which isn't what the Bible said, but they believe that's what the Bible said. So they were stuck in that. But then there were others who reacted. It was like, there was this immediate visceral reaction on their part towards me. And I, they, I knew right, right away, this person doesn't like me. This person is seeing someone else in me. Like they're not seeing me and they're, they've got, there's something going on inside of their own psyche that they're never, ever going to be able to see me. They're just going to, all they are going to be able to do is react to anything I say. And in those cases, sometimes we will try to change their mind. I'm telling you, you can't, Mm -hmm. if you start to, if any of you that are listening, start to sense that from somebody you're it's a dead end. Mm -hmm. I'm just just telling you right now, it's a dead end. You're not going to get help from that person. That person is most likely going to re-abuse you in different ways and re-traumatize you. Mm -hmm. So it's best just to say, just to be polite. I always tried to be super polite. Thank you so much for listening. Even though they didn't listen. Thank you so much for listening. And I will figure this out on my own, or I've I'm getting help somewhere else or, and just cut them loose. Mm -hmm. Mm, I think that that's really helpful to give people the freedom to say, this is an unsafe person and we're not going to interact with them on the subject anymore. Right now that can create a little bit of cognitive dissonance because if you are, if you grew up thinking that if they're in a leadership position that they should know better or that they're the voice of God or that they represent God in some way, then you're going to feel like you're making a mistake to cut them off, or you're going to feel like maybe I'm cutting God's voice off or God's help in my life off, but you're not. It took me many years to separate God from people in spiritual leadership Mm -hmm. over me. And that is the, a sign of spiritual abuse as if it is a person in spiritual leadership and they are being abusive in that way. And they're in that representative place. There might be other abuse in there. There might be emotional, there might be psychological abuse happening, but if they're in that position of spiritual leadership, then that makes it spiritual abuse because of that place of representation. Yep. Yep. You may already know this, but the Uncertain Podcast is the affiliate podcast of Tears of Eden a nonprofit that serves as a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. This podcast and the work of Tears of Eden are supported by donations from generous listeners like you. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider giving a donation by using the link in the show notes or visiting tearsofeden.org support. 
You can also support the podcast by rating and leaving a review and sharing on social media. If you're not already following us, please follow us on Facebook at Tears of Eden and Instagram at Uncertain Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. And now back to the show. This is a me question. Okay. <laughs> uh, when I was growing up in the evangelical world, divorce was like the worst possible sin right yeah. next door to having sex outside of marriage. And so why is divorce the worst sin in these communities? I honestly don't know. It's like every other, they do such egregious sin in so many other ways. And that's completely excused and even looked at as like godly. And yet divorce is just terrible. I, I don't know. I, I grew up in this, I grew up in the same kind of a church. And I remember I do, I remember in the church, there was one woman who was widowed and she married a divorced man. And my, my mom just went ballistic. She just thought this was like the most horrific thing. Cause they were living in perpetual adultery. Then that's what we were taught. So well, it turned out that this couple ended up, they're still, they're still, they're an elderly couple. Now they, they were probably married, ended up being married for over 50 years, you know, in perpetual adultery, of course. Mm-hmm. And, um, this couple ended up becoming really, really good friends with my mom and dad. So she eventually got over it enough. It's Christians are very fickle. I mean, all of us humans mm-hmm. are very fickle people, mm-hmm. you know, we'll be very judgmental, but then we forget mm-hmm. and we move on. So I, I guess I really don't have an answer for that other than that. Of course, they're going to say, well, the Bible says that it's bad because mm-hmm. of that one verse. Right. Well, and there's actually a several verses about divorce, but they don't, depending on how you look at them or put them together or interpret them next side by side to each other, you're going to get different answers. And that's why, but I think it's important for people to even know just on the outset, there are several different ways of interpreting the Bible on divorce. And I highly recommend Gretchen Baskerville's book, life-saving divorce. Have you heard of that book yet? Oh, I, it, so that book, and then David Instone Brewer's book called divorce and remarriage in the church. Those are the top two books I would recommend to anyone who is a Christian, who's kind of wondering what should, what do I want to believe about divorce? Those two books will give you a solid, the David Instone Brewer book will give you a solid biblical understanding of what divorce is in the Bible and, and remarriage as well. And, and then, and, but it's not, it's not above your head. Like you will totally be able to understand it. You know how some books are like, especially theology books. It's like you just glaze <laughs> over and pretty, and pretty soon you don't, you know? Yeah. Weaving through this the one is, Yeah. This one is not like that. This one, I was like, I couldn't put it down. And then Gretchen Baskerville's book, which is more recent. She actually had David Instone Brewer come in and edit her chapter on the Bible and divorce. But but the rest of it is all on research, like hardcore scientific research on divorce and families, its effect on children, its effect on women, the reasons why women get divorced, the reasons why men get divorced. It's a Christian book. Gretchen is a, she's a Christian author. I know her personally, and she is a powerhouse Christian. She loves Jesus. She's also like one of the m- most intelligent people I have ever known. And she's got a great YouTube channel and she's got, um, this great book that I just like, I recommend her book all the time. 
I will link to those in the show notes. Yeah, good. Um, if it feels unsafe to approach any of the church staff who have heard you after the fact, what are some signs that the conversation and confrontation might be safe or even productive? What, what can someone look for to know if they might be dealing with someone who's safe? So is this someone who was originally not safe and now you think they are safe? Because <clears throat> at the beginning of that question, it sounded like someone who had maybe hurt you before. Well, let's go with if it, if it feels unsafe to approach leadership about what's going on in the marriage, what's going on, maybe thinking about pursuing divorce. What are some signs that it might be safe to pursue the leadership? Maybe they've heard other stories of other people. Yeah. Through this experience with churches. Yeah. I mean, if you have heard of someone else talking to, like, let's say there's, you know, three guys at your church that you would normally go to for help. And you've already heard rumors that other people have tried to get help and didn't get help. Then just don't, just don't, just don't, (laughs) don't even, don't even go there. Don't go there. It is actually perfectly okay. You're an adult it's perfectly okay for you just to never, ever step foot in that church again. If you don't want to, Mm -hmm. you don't even have to tell anyone that you're not going there. Believe it or not, there are millions of churches in the world today. I don't know how many, I bet you there's millions though, all (laughs) over the world. (laughs) We'll just say there's millions, millions of churches in the world today. You can go to any one of them. You don't have to go to the one that you, that you're afraid that you're afraid of Mm -hmm. just the fact that you feel fear or trepidation about talking to someone shows that there's something not quite right there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, so what else, what what else you could do though, is you could go and just offer them a little bit and see what they do with it. Offer them a little taste of what might be going on. If you, if you go to them and even just, if you just send them an email and just say, Hey, there are some issues going on in my marriage and I'm worried that I might be in an abusive relationship. What do you know about abuse? Are you familiar with helping? Do you help people who are in abusive relationships? How much experience do you have with that? Good. Yeah. Love it. And then just see how they respond to that. Okay. If they respond with anything that smacks of well, you both need to work on things. You both need to do this. It's a mutual, like make it, a, making it a mutual issue. Then they know nothing like that's a t- perfect sign that they don't know anything about abuse and they don't know what they're doing. And if you go there, I guarantee you're going to be gutted eventually. Mm-hmm. And not with as a, a smile, common. like you said, yeah, with, with a, a smile, smile on their face. And maybe a Bible verse on their lips. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's a consistent thing with abuse of any sort of abuse, abuse happening within the church, abuse happening in marriages, abuse happening, you know, domestic abuse happening with kids, any, any sort of abuse, churches very, very frequently want to make it this like conflict resolution thing and yeah. are ignorant of power differentials and are completely ignorant of abuse. And that's, that's a very common thing to see and a common thing to expect. So if you encounter something different than that, that is a gift. Yes, it is. You know, there's, there's of the women that are in my program once in a while, one of them will say, Hey, my church is really supporting me. I mean, I would, I mean, I'm just making a wild guess, but I would say for every 20 people that say that their church 
is unsupportive and basically kicking them to the, to the curb, maybe one person will say my church is actually supporting me. Mm. And I don't even know how supportive they would be if the husband actually went forward and told his side of the story. Cause mine supported me until my husband went and, but they're like, well, we need to hear both sides of the story. Uh, and of course, mm-hmm. you know, the man is going to shine in that moment because he's not and- being abused because why? Because he's not being abused. So his right, right. He's able exactly. to present so well. Exactly. So, and that's the nature of abuse too, is this it's hidden. It, you can't see it. You can't, you're, the abuser is not going to go, Oh, darn. You got me. Mm-hmm. It's never going to do that ever. So you want to hear the other side of the story. Okay. It's really not the other side of the story. It's like, that's the, that's the smoke screen. They're like, no, I, I need to, we need to go look at the smoke screen now. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. Then you're never going to be able to help me. Mm-hmm. That happened to me with counselors and with pastors and with women, actually, mm-hmm. they would hear my ex tell his, his quote side of the story. And it, I knew it was all over for me at that point. Cause I was more, I was more articulate and outspoken and he was quieter. I had a covert. He was a covert abuser. He was quieter and came, just did a lot of servant servant type work behind the mm-hmm. scenes. And, and so people liked him. He was, you know, he was a likable guy. And I came across like, oh, she's, and he would say, you know, she's, she wears the pants in the family. Ugh. And then it would be all over. All he had yep. to do was say that. And it was yep. all over for me. Mm. And I actually, I am a leader. I'm a born leader. God just made me like that. I was a firstborn and it's my personality, but I did not wear the pants in that family. Mm -hmm. I did not try to control. I mean, I tried to control my own life, my own Mm -hmm. self, but I didn't try to control. There were so many things. And I knew that because once I ended up getting out and I actually did take control over things, once he Mm -hmm. left, then it was like, yeah, I didn't think I had any control before, but it, I sure do now. And it sure feels good. <laughs> I didn't think so before, but now it feels <laughs> amazing. So I hesitate to ask this question because I don't want to give abusers any, any fodder to work with, but say from a church perspective, someone does come forward saying my husband is abusive or my husband's mistreating me or things are difficult at home. What might a church look for? What are some things that a church can look for to know this is an abusive situation? Usually you will see a lot of desperation and panic and complex post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms in the true victim. Okay. And it will, and complex traumatic stress disorder has some overlapping symptoms with borderline personality disorder. Oh yeah. Mm. Kind of a bummer actually, Ah, because, because that will be a turnoff for people Mm -hmm. and it's not the woman's fault. She's got CPTSD. 
Yeah. So she needs to get in therapy to deal with that, but they're not going to, they're not going to usher her into the therapy room. So instead they're going to, you know, they're just going to go, yeah, see, we can tell she's the problem because she's freaked out. She's obviously angry and bitter. She's, you know, she's panicked. So they should look for that though. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then the second thing, not all women are going to react like that, but some will, Mm -hmm. some will look real panic, real panicky. Secondly, usually the first person that comes forward and says, help me is the person that need actually needs help. Mm -hmm. People who need help ask for help. People who don't need help or who are perpetrating, they don't want anybody to know that Mm -hmm. there's problems. They like to perpetrate in secret. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to see perpetrators going to you. I'm sorry, but you are not going to see perpetrators going to pastors and going, please help me. Mm-hmm. My wife is abusing me, mm-hmm. but they will absolutely say that if the pastors come to them and say, your wife's thinking your wife says you're mistreating her. What, but we really want to hear your side of the story. Oh, it's the exact opposite. She's actually mistreating. Me. She's wearing the pants in the family. Mm-hmm. She's not she's not giving me sex. They'll immediately feel sorry for him then. Oh, well, he truly is the victim here. (laughs) Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. So then they'll think about their own wives who aren't giving them sex either. And they'll immediately, you know, feel a camaraderie with the abuser and it's just all over for the victim at that point. But, um, also let's see what else will you see in her? I guess what you'll, what you will see, uh, you'll, you'll, most of these women are really trying. They're like on a tightrope. They're trying to protect the reputation of their husbands. Most of them really are. They really love their husbands and want to protect their husband's reputation. That's why it takes decades for them to come forward. So you'll see them say nice things about their husband. Like I, he, I'm sure he doesn't always mean to do it or, you know, I know he means yes. well, yes. or I really want to work together. I really want to work on this marriage. They will, they'll be very generous towards their abuser, but you will not see the same. Well, you might see a little bit of that on the abuser's side too, because he's trying to show that he is a generous person, but it's all fake. It's all fraudulent, Mm -hmm. but, but you'll see her doing that. And then, and, and you'll see her taking responsibility for her own stuff. She might even offer all the ways that she's a failure as a wife. I know that I fail in this area, in this area, in this area, you'll see a lot of shame. She'll have a lot of shame. Now the abuser though, he will be, he will defend himself and he will make it look like she's actually the perpetrator, but he's really trying his hardest, but he really, you'll, you'll be hard pressed to ever hear him admit to anything, to doing anything wrong or to playing any kind of role in the dysfunction of the marriage. He will do it in very general terms. Yes. Generalities. Like, yes, Yes. I can know I can be, I know I can be, you know, angry sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I know we have some, and he'll use a lot of we language. I know we have some communication problems, Mm -hmm. or I know I'm not always sensitive as she would like me to be. Yeah. Her (laughs) problem. Exactly. Exactly. So he'll use very general language, but you will never, ever be able to get him to say, you know what? You'll never actually see true heartfelt repentance of specific things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ever. 
you won't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, those are great signs. Great signs for a church to be looking for. Right. Can we and should we help the church do better in this area? That's a really, really good question. Can we, it, that it, here's what I tell people you, we can only have influence on those who are in movement towards us. And so if, if a church, a particular church and their leadership is not in movement toward you saying, help me understand this better. What are some good resources that have helped you that we might be able to benefit from? Let's let, let, let help us to listen to your, we want to listen to your story. We want to hear and learn, educate us. If they're not doing that, then you can't, you can talk and talk and talk till you're blue in the face and they're going to shut you down. Mm -hmm. They're not going to listen because they're not in movement toward you. They're in movement away from you. And it's sad to say, but most churches are, they pay lip service to this idea of, oh, we want to be a church that's compassionate towards abuse victims, but until they're willing to uproot the theology, a power over theology that actually undergirds all abuse, they will never, ever be able to help abuse victims because they, they get it wrong right from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they have a theology that ultimately protects it. So there's no way they're going to be able to move towards you. That's right. (laughs) They can talk about it. They can talk about it on a surface level and pay lip service to it, but they can't actually do the hard work of getting to the roots and really digging into it and really actually making a difference in this world, in this particular area. Mm Mm-hmm. After someone has been through this situation and been marginalized from the situation, why, what are the signs that someone needs to just leave the church? I think it's, it's up to the, it's up to you. I think, so every person listening, you need to understand that you are an adult and that your what you're feeling or what you believe is true. That's what you believe is true. And you can live in alignment with that, with those beliefs and that, and those values that you have. And if your belief and your values says that, I believe that men and women both have dignity and honor and that God, that God gives us choices in our individual adult lives. And that we are not supposed to be controlling any other human in any other way, using the Bible or God or any reason we we need to hold space for people to be on their own journey. We need to trust that our God is big enough to actually take each person on their own journey. And we don't have to be little busybody meddlers and telling everyone what they should and shouldn't do. Okay. So if a church is like that, and that's not one of your values, then you just need to decide I'm either going to stay in a church that's not aligned with my values, or I'm going to go find a different church, or maybe I'm not going to go to church right now or whatever, but it has to be a choice that you make that you feel you have to like your reasons for whatever choice you decide to make. And I do know people who have chosen to stay in churches that aren't aligned with their values, but they like their reasons for their choice. And I say more power to you. If that's what you want to do, then do it. 
because you have good reasons. And if that's what God is leading you to do, who am I to argue with that? Or why, who am I to judge that? I, I just don't have any right to do that. But, but someone else, I also don't have any right to judge someone who decides to leave a church or decides not to go to church at all anymore, because they don't, they, they just aren't aligned with organized religion anymore. And their values are completely different. Mm-hmm. And they, I mean, I would probably say that I'm sort of that in that role, in that space right now, I'm not saying that I would never go to church in the future. Cause I don't know, but after COVID, when COVID kind of cut all the church stuff, most of the church stuff down and people were doing stuff online, I just decided, you know, during those two years, I just decided, I don't know that I'm going to go back. Mm-hmm. We hadn't found a good place yet. So we're, we were still looking and I really got used to just not going and my relationship with God, my faith is deeper and stronger than ever. And it has nothing Mm -hmm. to do with church. And I think it, I realized all the churches I've been in have been so abusive, Mm -hmm. so extraordinarily sexually abusive, financially abusive, spiritually abusive, emotionally abusive, just abusive on so many levels and promoting abuse from the pulpit. And I've seen pastors rise and fall. I've seen women and children just devastated. I've seen men just devastated. And I just don't want to have anything to do with that anymore. It's just not aligned with who I believe God, with who I believe God is. Mm -hmm. And I believe God is doing something bigger and more amazing right now in our world today. And he's, I don't, I mean, I don't even know if I dare say this, but I'm not even sure he's really in the church anymore. I don't know. I think he's <laughs> in the lives of individual church. people, Yeah, but I don't know that he's actually, that he is actually doing his greatest, deepest, most amazing work in the organized church anymore. I think he's doing it on the streets. Kind of like, sort of like way back Jesus. when, <laughs> way back when in Jesus died. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, Jesus came in his day and age to overturn organized religion in his day and age. So it wouldn't, it's not surprising that God is showing up in the same ways, you know, 2000 years later. Mm -hmm. And so I lost my family unit. I lost my church family and every friend I had, except for one, my one friend who was the co-leader of my ministry with me. She was the only one who was able to call out the wrongs that were taking place within the church and said, this is inappropriate, it's unacceptable, and it's absolute gaslighting. My church leadership had no capacity, no training, no trauma-informed coaching whatsoever to be able to hold space for abusive marriage outside of someone literally being punched in the face, which I wasn't. When you ask if there's anything that the church did right through the process, I can't think of a single thing. and. And that breaks my heart because I loved those people. They were my church family. But I can't think of one moment during the process of me creating boundaries in my destructive marriage through the point of divorce, it was maybe a year's time, where anyone showed me the heart of Christ. It was all PR, image management, and and really the worst underbelly of patriarchy. And that is a lamentable, grievous thing. Of all the church pastors that I sought when I was going through my struggles, at the end there was one who said to me, are you afraid to go home? And that was the best thing that a pastor could have said to me 
because then I knew that there was someone who I might refer my husband to who understood. However, he did not go to that pastor, but it was good for me to know that someone understood I was in a life-threatening situation. The women that I found support from were not in the organized situation. I had studied various denominations, and they all shared the patriarchy as their foundation, and I was quite old before I found out that this is a reality globally and that many religions are used to control women and that divorce is one of the ways to do it. I wish that my church had seen my husband for who he really was behind closed doors. I wish they had not abandoned me when I needed them the most. I can't say that they did anything well. I think they handled this whole situation very poorly. And I have to say, this was a much more progressive new church plant. And I thought I was safe and in a church with people that would support me. I will add, I am now divorced. I'm in a lovely home that's new. It's away from the scenes of abuse. I have a lovely child that I have primary custody of. And I am so incredibly grateful. This story could have ended much worse. But my heart is broken for the way the church handled this. My heart is breaking for women that I know are in similar situations to my own. One day, I hope to publicly share this story with my name and face attached. But until then, I will be healing. I will be working with my therapist to deal with my trauma, not only from my marriage, but also from the biblical counselor and from the pastor from the church who abandoned me and abused me in their own right. I wish they would understand the dynamics of emotional abuse because my husband did not hit me but it was 25 years of emotional destruction to my soul. It became a very, very toxic cycle within our marriage. So I just, I think it could have been different if the church had been informed and willing to listen to abuse victims and survivors. I really hope that this is gonna change. I hope the church listens, that's my prayer, and that we can begin to change this. People can argue all day that this is not true, that that's not what patriarchal theology teaches, but I can guarantee you this is the way it is often received. And I see the effects of this and that women struggle with self-esteem, they struggle with feeling fearful that they may displease God and go to hell. I've had women cry and say, is my husband still my spiritual authority, even when he is abusive and hitting and throwing things at them? So the, the confluence and convergence there of harmful theology and a woman's desire to please God and to keep her family together, as well as the ways it has impacted how she sees herself. It's just very difficult for women to climb out of and get away from. I wish the church would pay more attention to the ways in which teachings on submission are harmful to women and can be misused by men. 
as we wrap up, would you speak to the women? And I've watched this happen multiple times. Women who have realized they're in an abusive marriage, maybe started the separation divorce process and have had to in a time where they need the most community around them when they're going through this process, have had to relinquish community to the abuser because the abuser has yes. it's commandeered that space, that church yes. space. Can you say something of encouragement to those women in that space? Yes, I can. Because I am one of those women. Mm-hmm. And it is one of the most egregious, traumatic things, I think, that anyone could go through, especially if you're a woman of faith and that your faith family was your, those were your, where those were your roots. That's your identity. Those are your people, right? So if you think about, you know, all throughout history, if you get kicked out of your tribe, that's death. That is death. You are in a tribe for protection, for safety, for community, for for fellowship, for love and connection. And that tribe abandons you or moves on without you. That, that means, you know, in the old, in the old days, really, really old, old days, that would mean sure death. You couldn't survive on your own. So we still, but so here's the hope. What I discovered, it was, it was really one of the hardest things. And I've been abandoned by my family of origin too. So Mm -hmm. I've, I've lost everything, but this is what I have found. First of all, I found myself. Mm. I had lost my, I was gone. I was totally gone in that, in those toxic environments. And so I found my God introduced me to me. He helped me realize that he was enough that he was my family. He was my, you know, how Jesus says, if you don't abandon your mom or or you need to leave your mother and your father. And I think he, what he was trying to really communicate is that I can be all of those things for you. Okay. But also there, I am not the only one. Mm -hmm. There are thousands, there's probably millions of us out there. We are God's children. All of us are God's children. We are family. And what an amazing time in history that we live in, that I can meet you and talk to you face to face, that we can communicate and have community with people that we've never seen before all over the world. This is, I just, th- this is technology and science and blah, blah, blah. And this is also God. Mm. This is God connecting us in incredibly miraculous ways through the internet. Mm-hmm. and. I just think that is so encouraging. I just think God, you know how the Bible says that God will um, give you back a thousand times more than whatever was taken from you and that he will redeem the, he'll make up for the years that the locust ate, all those verses that talk about stuff like that. Or if you give, it will be given back to you, pressed down, you know, and just overflowing. Mm -hmm. This is our God. Mm-hmm. And I promise you, God has given back to me a thousandfold what I lost. Does that mean that I would, you know, that I am, oh, I'm so <laughs> glad I went through that goody, goody no, no, gumdrops. No. I hope I can go through that again. No, <laughs> no, it doesn't. It just means that God is in the, our God is in the business of redeeming all the things that have been stolen from us by the enemy. 
He is stronger and more powerful than the enemy. And if you just give it some time and wait and you trust him and you keep putting one foot in front of the other, he's going to lead you. The Bible also talks about how he leads us to a wide, wide open spaces. So imagine if you wanted to dance, can you dance on a cliff that is one foot wide and there's a big, huge, you know, mountain on one side of you and then a drop off of a million feet on the other side? Can you dance on a ledge like that? No, you can't. You have to walk very slowly and with lots of prayers, but he wants to lead you. Eventually he's going to lead you to a place, a wide open space where there's no fear of dropping off anywhere where, where it's flat and you don't, you're not going to trip. You can dance and dance and dance with freedom. That is our God. And he loves each one of us enough to be able to make that come true for us. Mm -hmm. If not in this life, than in the life to come. Mm -hmm. That's what I believe. And that belief makes me feel really happy. So I like it. Yeah. And I think it's encouraging. It will be encouraging for folks to see the work that you're doing and your happiness and know that that does give you hope, even though it sucks. Like, yeah, yeah. no one's going to say it doesn't suck. No way. Uh, That can be possible. And yeah, uh, yeah. Sometimes this is just, yeah. The one of the hardest seasons that so many people go through in this type of loss of not just having to experience the abuse, but then also to experience the abandonment of the community as well. Just a very, very tragic place for a lot of women and men to find themselves. And so I want to encourage people to, to look for your work too, Flying Free. I will link to everything in the show notes. I'll put the, the books that you recommended also in the show notes for folks. And this has been fantastic and wonderful. And I loved it. And <laughs> so well, I loved it too. You. Thank you so much. It was super fun to meet you. And Very thank you for Thank you for the conversation. It was great. This was great. Thank you so much. And I will let you know when the episode drops. Please do. I'll, I will definitely want to share it with, with my people. So appreciate you, oh, all the work that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye, Catherine. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uncertain is the affiliate podcast of Tears of Eden, a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider making a donation by visiting tearsofeden.org support. All donations are tax deductible. Intro music featured in this episode is from the band Green Ashes. Before you go, please take a moment to like, subscribe, or leave a review, and don't forget to share this podcast show with everyone you know. I'm Katherine Spearing, and I'll see you next time.